0: Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And so here in this first verse we have the word which is the title of the book. Ecclesiastes is Greek for the preacher. And the Hebrew behind this word means one who gathers together and addresses an assembly. And so the word could also be translated the gatherer or the convener. Now, we have an example of the people being gathered together in this distinctive role in 1 Kings Chapter 8, in 1 Kings 8 and verse 1, we read, Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the princes of the father's houses, to bring up the ark of the covenant of Jehovah out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto King Solomon. All the men of Israel assembled themselves unto King Solomon. So here is an example of the king as the gatherer of Israel, calling the people together to receive spiritual instruction. And Solomon is the author of Ecclesiastes. He is, in a certain sense, the preacher, because he gathers the people together in order to hear the word of God. Now, Ecclesiastes was written in the later stages of Solomon's life, following the period when he was led astray by his foreign wives, led into idolatry, and he was also guilty of excessively indulging in the pleasures of this world. So the book of Ecclesiastes reveals the wisdom of the older man, one who has learnt from bitter personal experience and who is now passing on his wisdom for the benefit of others. John Wesley wrote of the book of Ecclesiastes, The several parts of it are so exquisitely connected together, all tending to prove that grand truth that there is no happiness outside of God. That is the message of this book. There is no happiness outside of God. Charles Bridges, a 19th century evangelical Anglican, wrote... The purpose of Ecclesiastes is to bring out into clear view the chief good, the true happiness of man, in what it does not consist, not in the wisdom, pleasures, honours and riches of this world, and in what it does consist, the enjoyment and service of God. So again we learn that this book was written to explain to us the true purpose of living. Solomon, as the royal son of David, gathering the people together for instruction in godly wisdom, is in this role foreshadowing the greater son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ... Are head, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Paul tells us in Colossians 3, Colossians 2 and verse 3. Christ is the preacher, the gatherer together of the people today. He is calling all men to himself to come and be instructed and that they might be eternally wise. Now we read, in verse 2 here. Vanity of vanities saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. The Hebrew word rendered vanity occurs 37 times in Ecclesiastes. It is literally in its meaning bresh. In other words, that which is fleeting and empty and of no lasting significance. We take a breath and it is immediately gone and we are on to the next breath. The expression vanity of vanities means vanity in its most extreme form, the most absolute vanity. And all that this world has to offer is absolute vanity. If men seek for purpose in their life in this world and exclude God, then the result is absolute vanity. That is the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. Now in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul says this, God giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Now, God often chooses to grant material blessings to men and especially to his own people. But he is generous in his gifts of common grace to mankind generally. He is a giver of many good things to those who ignore him and even despise him. He gives them food and employments, and homes to live in, and families. That God gives these things even to those who deny his existence. This is his common grace towards sinful men. However, when sinful men living in a fallen world, pursue the material things which they enjoy, as ultimate ends in themselves and the only thing possibly to live for and without any reference to God, such things become an absolute emptiness. They become utter vanity. And so we must not set our hearts on the material things of this world, even though they might be good and legitimate in themselves. We all need food to eat. We all need homes to live in. We all rejoice in our families and in our friendships. But if we just live for these earthly blessings to the exclusion of the God who actually gave them in the first place, then life will become an ultimate vanity. In 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 30, the Apostle Paul says this, Let those that rejoice be as though they rejoice not, and those that buy as though they possess not, and those that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. And so here we are being taught that Christians must keep the things of this world at arm's length, they must not abuse or overuse them. The world grants fleeting benefits but we must not put our trust in them, we must not live for the material things of this world no matter how legitimate in and of themselves they might be. Everything about this world is temporary and therefore can never provide a satisfaction which endures. This was the truth which Solomon had discovered in his own experience and let us remember that he was the most wealthy man on the earth and he had been able to know more of material plenty and of aesthetic and cultural fulfillment than any man living and of most people since uh, there was no earthly pleasure joy or knowledge or scientific or aesthetic inquiry, which Solomon did not engage in. He surrounded himself with beautiful things. Uh, he studied plants. He formed choirs to sing to him. He created wonderful landscapes. He caused many, many fine buildings to be erected. But none of these things brought him any lasting satisfaction. There is no earthly pleasure, joy or knowledge which does not pale into utter insignificance when one is confronted with the need to be reconciled to one's maker. And when one is confronted with the inevitability of death, all the things of this world are by their very nature temporary. They cannot give us lasting fulfilment. And so the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1 and verse 24, All flesh is as grass, and all the glory thereof as the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower falleth. But the word of the Lord abideth forever. And so writes Peter there, a fallen man. He is a grass. His existence is very temporary. It springs up, but is soon gone. And just like grass, which is subject to the heat of the sun and will quickly wither. So man is completely vulnerable. He only has a very temporary existence. He is just a frail mortal. Psalm 90 also reflects much on this theme. The psalmist says of God in Psalm 90 and verse 3, Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, "Return to the dust, ye children of men." Verse five. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. Verse ten of that psalm. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labour and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Verse 11, so teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And so there in Psalm 90 we are being taught that the non-believer must learn to reflect on the brevity of his mortal existence, but on the fact also that he has an immortal spirit which will live on after his body dies. The non-believer must reflect upon the fact that he is going to have to face God as his judge and he will have to do that perhaps sooner than later. Now we read in verse 3 here. What profit hath a man of all his labour which he taketh under the sun? Now the phrase under the sun is a very important phrase in the book of Ecclesiastes. It occurs no less than 28 times. And it refers, quite simply, to this world as considered on its own, without any perspective of the eternal, namely that which is above the sun, the abode of God in heaven. The Christian is a citizen of heaven and sets his affections upon the things above this world, But the non-Christian's perspective is simply under the sun. He knows nothing but this world down here. And so he has this very confined outlook. And he does not realise his utter dependence upon his maker. He does not realise his utter vulnerability as a mere mortal. And so the man without faith in Christ has nothing to trust in except his earthly well-being because he knows of no other realm other than what is down here upon this earth. In Colossians 3 and verse 1, Paul tells us, Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth, on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. We must have a spiritual perspective, an eternal perspective. We must look beyond the passing things of this world. Uh, The Apostle John says this in Revelation 21 and verse 2. I, John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. So here John gets a picture of the communion of the saints and the everlasting realm. He gets this wonderful picture of those who are in communion with God, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. And uh, if we move on to Revelation 21, verse 23, we are told that the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the believer in Christ, even whilst alive on this earth, belongs to this heavenly city. He does not belong to this fleeting world under the sun. But right now, if we trust in Christ, we are citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem. And so we are enjoying a supernatural light of which the world knows nothing, a supernatural light. The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. But, of course, for those without Christ, they are living under the sun. Solomon asks this question in verse 3, what profit hath a man of all his labour, which he taketh under the sun? Those to labour under the sun without any reference to God, labour without any ultimate profit. Now, Non-believers often work very hard and much of their work is useful. They can labour in scientific discovery, in learning generally. They can build houses, roads, cities, Concert halls, libraries, museums, theatres. But when God is ignored, this verse puts all their labour into its true perspective. What profit hath a man of all his labour which he taketh under the sun? When God is ignored then there is no real purpose in any human activity. It is futile. The Tower of Babel, going right back to the early days of human history, the Tower of Babel was an amazing amazing feat of engineering. It was a a remarkable Building reaching up to the heavens. We must not think that the modern age invented the skyscraper. But what was the purpose of the building of the Tower of Babel? Well, it was in fact in pursuit of human solidarity and the togetherness of mankind, but against God. It was in pursuit of false religion. It was in pursuit of the worship of the planets and the stars. And so it was all labour without profit. Although it was a a remarkable feat of engineering. But God has and will destroy great civilisations. Which reject him. No matter how advanced and sophisticated they might be, if they reject the one true God, they will eventually fall. And, and so, the modern Western world, in all its rejection of the Christian revelation, in all its despising of its own culture and its Christian foundations, it should think on because it's getting very near to collapse. Now scientists labour very hard to study the natural world, but they frequently think that their studies make them wiser than God. And they then use their science, so-called, to assert that this earth and the people who live upon it are all unplanned, Evolutionary accidents. We are here by chance. That is what modern science tells us. We accidentally evolved from a primeval chemical soup. Well, this verse, Ecclesiastes 1 verse 3, is for all the scientists who believe that. And for all the millions of people who think that the scientists possess absolute truth, this verse is for them. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? Science has not proved evolution. And we need to tell the world that. And science will not solve all the problems of the world. And science will not remove viruses. From a fallen world, viruses will be with us until the end of time. What profit hath a man of all his labour which he taketh under the sun? As we have said, non-believers often work very hard to provide material security for themselves. And such labour is good and proper insofar as God has ordained that we should work in order that we might eat and provide for our families. Nevertheless, if God is ignored, such labour is ultimately futile. So, let us assume that a man does, through his labours, achieve the successful career the nice house, the happy family, the regular holidays and then the good pension. The question must still be asked, what is the ultimate goal? Is it to be able to live out one's retirement in a sunny clime and in relative luxury? Is that the purpose of human existence? Is the sole purpose of our being here to pursue personal fulfilment and pleasure for 70 or 80 years? Is that what it's all about? Is the sole purpose of being here to be able to spend the final years of our life having a permanent holiday? Is that why we are here? That we just build up enough capital so that when we reach a certain age we can have a permanent holiday. Is that why we are here? Is this the motivation behind all human labour? Now the Holy Spirit here is warning people who think like that. The Word of God is warning them that there is simply no profit whatsoever to a man's labour under the sun if it does not contribute to his eternal happiness above the sun. You see, our labours in this world must be in the context of our eternal destination. Not in the context of this passing God-rejecting world, what profit hath a man of all his labour which he taketh under the sun? The word rendered profit here also means that which remains. Is there anything lasting and remaining from a man's labours under the sun? Do our earthly labours have an eternal significance? Are they labours for Christ's sake? Will our labours be following us to heaven and be part of our grace-given glory as we stand before God's throne to be judged? That is the crucial question. We brought nothing into this world for neither can we carry anything out the lord jesus said this in john 6 verse 27 john 6 and verse 27 he said labor not for the meat which perisheth but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life which the son of man shall give unto you labor not for the meat which perisheth, do not live just for the things of this world. We must labour for life-giving spiritual food. A major biblical example of futile labour and futile religious labour at that is the time spent upon beautifying the Jerusalem temple in the New Testament period. The work was carried out between 19 BC and AD 64. So some 84 years was spent in making the temple one of the most beautiful and magnificent buildings in all the earth. King Herod uh, did much of this work how proud the people were of this grandest of edifices which was adorned with pure gold. However, Ecclesiastes 1 verse 3 applies to the Jerusalem temple. It was all labour under the sun and without profit. It was completed in AD 64, the embellishments of it. But by AD 70, six years later, it was utterly destroyed by the Romans. And it was destroyed in the context of the general rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the temple's new embellished glory lasted for just six years. And so it was all wasted labour. What profit hath a man of all his labour which he taketh under the sun? In Isaiah 55 verse 2 we read this. Wherefore do ye spend your labour for that which satisfieth not? You see, the men of this world are pouring all their labours into that which can never truly satisfy. Now, we are not against sporting and athletic endeavour, it has its place, but when people pursue excellence in sport as an end in itself, it's all utterly futile, ultimately. What does one get at the end of it? A medal but you still rot in your grave. Solomon is asserting here that the passing things of this world can provide no enduring satisfaction. Earthly riches have no lasting substance. What profit hath a man of all his labour which he taketh under the sun? And, of course, we are reminded of our Lord's words in Matthew 16, verse 26. Matthew 16:26. What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Nothing is more important in life than a man finding peace with God. And the securing of his eternal destiny. Nothing is more important than that. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18. We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. The Christian must always maintain an eternal Perspective. So the book of Ecclesiastes begins with this reminder of absolute priorities. Where does the real meaning of life lie? And interestingly, the book ends on exactly the same theme. If we just briefly look at the end of this book, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. The Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Vanity of vanities saith the preacher. All is vanity. So the book ends as it begins. And then look at the last two verses of chapter 12. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment. With every secret thing. Whether it be good. Or whether it be evil. What is human life about? It's about preparing for the day of judgment. That's what it is about. We must remember the brevity of life. And that it possesses an essential vanity and emptiness for those whose perspective is only under the sun, confined to this passing world. Let us remember again Psalm 90, concerning the brevity of life. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And so... The crucial issue for every individual to find real purpose in life is this. They have to turn from sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only way to receive everlasting life. Only by coming to Jesus Christ will anyone discover the real reason for existing, which is to live To the glory of our maker and our redeemer. So if someone is looking for purpose in life. We have only this to say. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will be your purpose for living. Amen. Amen.